0: and binge on those videos, which, which I have designed to help businesses get more leads, more sales, and more profits through the power of trade shows. So go find Trade Show University on YouTube and tell a friend. What you are about to hear is a masterclass on how to use public relations at your trade shows, your events, and even your virtual events. And bringing all the knowledge today is Josh Weiss. Josh is the owner and founder of 10 to 1 PR, and he is bringing the A game today. You will not believe the quality content that he is bringing to us today. So let's just stop wasting time. Let's hit the music. Music. Welcome
1: to Trade Show University, the ultimate resource for marketers, planners, and business
0: owners looking to create results, increase revenue, and maximize their ROI for upcoming trade shows. We'll help you navigate the complexities of trade shows, set the right goals, find true success, and get the most out of each experience for you and your team. It's time to get your PhD in ROI with your host, the man with over 25 years of trade show experience, Jim Cermak. Welcome back to campus here at Trade Show University, the podcast for virtual and live events, how to get the best results. I keep bringing great guests. Oh, my gosh. Today is no exception as I have on today, Josh Weiss with 10 to 1 PR. He's going to give you amazing, amazing value on how to utilize public relations for your events, your live and virtual events. If you've never done PR before, you've never tapped into the media for these events, and even if you have, you're going to learn so much today get a notebook ready. You're going to be going through a couple of pens (laughs) today as, as he brings incredible, incredible value and content. But before we get to Josh, let's hear from today's sponsor. Business owners and entrepreneurs, I'm sure you've heard of tools designed to help you build websites, sales pages, and online funnels, and they typically command high monthly fees. And that's not good for most of us businesses. This is where Groove Funnels comes in. Groove Funnels is the new, better way to build funnels and sell digital products online. Groove Funnels is a funnel builder plus an entire suite of products that includes what you need to run your online business. With GrooveFunnels, you get full product funnels, brand websites with full navigation, custom domain names, upsells, downsells, and order bumps, a powerful affiliate program, and so much more. This is a total game changer, and for a limited time only, you can get started for absolutely free. No credit card, no risk, and you get lifetime access. you got to see it to believe it. Take a closer look at TradeshowU.biz slash Groove. Get your free account right away. Put the power of sales funnels to work in your business at no cost. Get over to trade show you.biz slash groove. That's trade show you.biz slash G-R-O-O-V-E. So my guest today on the podcast uh, I have been wanting to have someone on to talk about public relations for quite a while and I've gotten a lot of questions over time about it and so really excited uh, for you to to meet my guest today and and I've got a little little jealousy a little weather jealousy I'm in Cleveland Ohio and it is November in Cleveland <laughs> and it is cold and he is uh, nice and toasty in Scottsdale Arizona so so I'm a little jealous from that standpoint but uh, but again again, really excited to have him uh, join me today. Today on the podcast, joining me is Josh Weiss. Josh, He believes that it takes 10 good things to be said about a company to equal one negative comment and that it's essential to build up a goodwill bank to grow and protect your business. He believes in this philosophy so strongly that he named his communications firm 10 to one public relations. I love that. Love that. So Josh, welcome to Trade Show University. Say hello to all the listeners out there. Hey, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, My pleasure. Just so we get, let's set a firm foundation here. And for those, uh, especially for our listeners who don't have a real good grasp on public relations, give, give us an understanding of what public relations is really all about.
1: Absolutely. I like to describe it this way. A lot of people feel like they know what marketing is and think that public relations is one and the same. It's different, but they definitely need each other. So think of it this way. Marketing is like an advertisement, right? You see that advertisement and that somebody needs your product, needs your services. So they see that ad and they call it that moment. It's like that immediate buy, like they all right, I, I needed that phone number. Now I have it. Public relations is about a long-term approach of building your reputation, your image long-term so people feel good about it. So that six months from now, when they need your product, they got to find the advertisement to find your phone number. (laughs) Um, But if they feel better about you, they're more likely to come to you. So the way that you do that from a public relations standpoint is you generate, and our philosophy is that you generate lots of little stories in addition to big ones um, you know, that are stories in the newspaper that just highlight a new contract that you have or introduce a new product or talk about a case study example or talk about a new sale from a contract perspective. We do a lot of work regarding trade shows as well, a lot of speaking engagements, a lot of award nominations, but we do all the things that generate third-party credibility so that it makes it easier for you to then close the sale, because you can show copies of all the news articles or TV stories that talked about and had you as the expert explaining something or a demo of what you do in your product. Those third-party credibility pieces make it so much easier for somebody to feel confident in choosing you and feel good about you as a person, as a company. Once they feel good about you, they're going to choose you over somebody that they haven't heard before.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. Me, I have a marketing background, I've been marketing my whole career, and and anyone who's out there that you've seen marketing, you've seen ads, and the first thing, if you've, if you've never heard of the company, you know that, well, can I trust them? Is it going to be good? I don't have any experience with them. And that just goes to what Josh just said about building that credibility that an ad or marketing just doesn't have right out of the gate really a strong point. And you say you've, you've had some experience with uh, and, and done a lot with with trade shows and stuff over the years. And, and obviously, now we're in a, a whole different uh, ball game with virtual events. Uh, and I'm assuming you've been doing some, uh, some uh, work with companies that also use virtual events, right?
1: We have we've done the in person and the virtual, obviously, right now it's more virtual. Um, but I think some of the examples that we need to start with are actually thinking about it from how it works when you're actually going to the event. Because once you understand, as a, you know, your listeners understand what the media opportunities are, a lot of them don't realize there's a ton of hidden media opportunities that are right there built in as an exhibitor that most of the exhibitors do not take advantage of. So once you understand the underlying expectation of these reporters, that's when we can understand what they're going through right now themselves from a virtual standpoint. Which opens new doors for you, as long as you understand what they're missing out on.
0: Wow! So, so hidden, hidden media opportunities. So, uh, and I could, I could tell you, I, I totally understand that. If, for many, many years, uh, I remember having uh, people from the media once in a while coming up and say, "Hey, can we take a picture of your of your booth? Could can we ask you some questions?" And I'm like, "Oh, yeah, sure," and not thinking that was just a one-off thing not knowing that this happens at every show uh, of significance anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and and so so tell us, let's dive more into that topic of hidden media. And how do people Well, first, what is it and how do they how do people find out about it? And then obviously the the next question would be, how do they take advantage of it? Absolutely.
1: So think of it this way, and hopefully this will give you a bunch of aha moments because it all makes sense, but it's just not something that most people would think about. Most exhibitors don't think about and definitely not attendees. So if you think about it, if there's a big national trade show and you already have all the industry players flying into, you know, Las Vegas or New Orleans or Columbus or Chicago for this event, naturally, it would make sense that all the industry magazines and all the reporters who write about all the players in that industry, of course, they're gonna to go to that show too, right? Because that's where all the people who buy their advertising is. Yeah, that's where all the people who they're writing stories about are. That's where all the executives they've been trying to pin down and talk to who ignore them when they try calling to do those stories or those you know, negative stories. They're all in the room for those big national shows, for the big conferences. So it only makes sense for these magazines and publications and, you know, you know, these influencers of media to be in that room at the same time. So let's take a really big show like RSNA, which is the Radiological Society of North America show. It's one of the largest healthcare shows in, uh, you know, in the in the world. And it's massive in Chicago every year right after Thanksgiving. So it's actually, you know, the virtual version is happening, you know, the couple days after Thanksgiving this year. Mm -hmm. But normally they use literally three huge exhibit halls of the the Chicago Convention Center. I mean, the whole thing is massive, okay? Or you look at the SHOT Show in Las Vegas every year, which is another insane show um, where they just take over every single available space in the Sands Hotel and so any of these shows, you have the industry media who cover radiology. You have the industry media that cover outdoor um, activities and you know guns and all, that, all those reporters who are gonna attend the SHOT Show, right? Okay. You have all those industry media who are already going to the show. So what the organizers in, of the trade show do is they actually build a secret press room. So media basically can go and hide into a room You know, they set it up like a conference center where you have to have media credentials in order to get in in there so that people like me as a PR guy or you as an exhibitor, you can't walk in the room, right? right? It's like a safe zone. So they get free meals usually in terms of lunch. It's catered. They have like, you know, plenty of different desks set up for them to be able to write their stories or sit and relax and all that kind of stuff. So you have all these national media who are attending the show. The other thing to keep in mind is that you're not randomly walking around. They schedule every 15 minutes for a different interview. And the really big shows like the RSNAs or the shot shows or those kind of crazy big ones, they're so big, they don't want to risk running from appointment to appointment all the way across big convention rooms. So the really organized reporters will literally know which aisle they will be in and which hour of the show. They're that organized. A lot of them are so smart they will actually plan bathroom breaks because they know where the bathrooms are, and they're smart enough to know where they want to end up right before lunchtime. Okay. So if they want to go into the other meal areas or whatever. You know that they, they're right. They they finish right there around the time which they would want to get lunch. They're that organized, and so if you know that, it gives you a huge advantage, of course. But what I recommend is a couple different things. For people who do contract with us, what we do is we actually start reaching out to media eight weeks before the actual conference, asking for media interviews. So the next question you're going to ask me is, how do I know who the media are? <laughs> who are going to be there. I'm going to tell you exactly how you can do it. All right. Okay. So if you are the exhibitor of the show, you know, if you have a booth, because that's the important thing, because they're only going to give you this if you've got the booth. They either sometimes read on their information, they have all the instructions, or you can ask your ad rep, you know, your sales rep, you know for the information on how to do it. You wanna ask for the media list. So for a lot of these shows, the reporters, if you think about it, they all gotta sign up, they get free tickets because the trade show wants them to be there and wants them to report on what happened at the show. So reporters often get in for free and don't have to pay the fees to buy a ticket. So they're able to collect all those names. The problem is a lot of media don't want to get inundated and they don't want to, you know, everyone to call them and all that kind of stuff. So they aren't going to sign up until like a week before. So what the trade show people will do if you ask them for it is most of the time they will give you a copy of last year's media list of all the media that came last year. Mm-hmm. So even if the show is in New Orleans this year but it was in Las Vegas the year before, if you get the list from Las Vegas even though you're going to be in New Orleans, 70%, let's say, of the people are going to be the same because you have an industry reporter and it's the same reporters, right? It doesn't change. You know, some of those people have been in the same job for 15 years. They're just yeah. the experts in their topic, which totally makes sense for them to stay in their job because they're the only people who know that much. Yeah, yeah. So it's a pretty good bet that they're going to be there. Sometimes those people leave or someone else is going to go that year, but the same publication is still coming right so if it's a specific to that industry publication you know that publication still showing up the people that kind of come in and out are the ones on the edges right so like a las vegas focused newspaper isn't going to travel all the way to new orleans the only reason they went to las vegas one is because it was in las vegas and it was easy and convenient or the little you know statewide only publication you know m- from arizona might go to las vegas because it's only a 5 hour drive from phoenix but they're not driving to new orleans Right, so Mm -hmm. 70% of that list may be correct. Now, when you get that list, it's gonna say the name of the publication, it's gonna say the name of the reporter and their title, or if it's the publisher, or if it's a sales rep, or it's gonna have a name, but they're not gonna include the phone number and they're not gonna include the email address. So then it gets even harder that if you know what publication though, you need to go onto their website or you need to use an outside service, you need to hire someone like me who has a database with every reporter in the country, and I can just look up their name and find it. Or you need to go onto their website and try and figure out their email address or their phone number. And then, like I said, eight weeks before you start calling them and you just say, hey, can I just have 15 minutes? Tell me when you want to be at my booth. Here's my booth number so you know where it is in the room. I just want to introduce myself or I want to show you my new product or I want to you know, introduce you to the CEO of my company. And you are not going to get an hour long meeting and you are not gonna get a story that day. The goal of inviting media to meet you on that day is just so you can see them face-to-face and shake their hand. Hopefully they can meet your CEO and shake that CEO's, you know, shake her hand. That way introduce it from a face-to-face perspective, you know, quickly demo the product so they understand what it is and what you do. That way a month or two from now, when you send them a press release or you call them afterward, they're more likely to take your phone call because it's harder to hang up on somebody that you've met in person.
0: Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah.
1: So that's the goal of meeting them at the show. So even if you get 10 interviews, you might get two or three stories right away. They got to remember those same reporters are interviewing 30, 40 different people. So they don't have time to run a, write a story about everybody. They don't have time to spend an hour with each person. So lower your expectation, but meet them face-to-face because that makes a huge impact on your ability to really get them to do stories for you long-term. So that's what it would be like at the actual, I know I'm speaking too much, so I apologize. No, no, this is of At a show about how to meet people. If you are not an exhibitor, you might still be able to do that. Try and sneak in that side door and see if you can get a copy of the media list even though you're not or ask a friend who's an exhibitor if they can get the list for you. That way you know who to call. Sometimes some of those reporters will still meet with you just meeting you by the the coffee bar kind of thing or by the front door or something like that. So sometimes you can still schedule meetings with media Um, but it's a lot harder for those reporters to schedule if you're not an exhibitor.
0: So this, this is, this is some work. This is, it is. not it just. Is
1: not easy. That's why, that's why people pay me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my team can track them down and do all that aspect of it, but you can do this on your own if you're committed to it. Yeah. There's an opportunity though, with the virtual conferences now. So, Media, if you think about it, they used to do maybe 30 or 40 interviews, and that basically gave them stories almost throughout the year for the next six months that they could be telling or connections of opportunities that they can write about every month for many weeks afterward. Well, now with them not being able to travel to a trade show, it really reduces their pipeline of stories. It reduces the stuff that they can go to when they need a quick hit story, right? Because they don't have collected stories sitting there anymore, which now gives you an opportunity if you're not an exhibitor or if you're trying to get a story, they're going to need more new stories. They're going to need new people coming up and asking them. So from a PR perspective, just generally, much easier potentially to get stories from reporters who are used to collecting a lot of their stories at trade shows in person. On the virtual side, there's still going to be those same publications that go to the virtual conference. Right. Because they still need to learn about that. They're going to go to sessions or they're still potentially going to meet with exhibitors. So if you're doing a virtual exhibit, you know, session, you know, that kind of thing, there's still that opportunity. You should still have the media list to ask them. But if you're not exhibiting, you probably can still reach out to them and say, hey, I don't know if you're attending the show next week virtually. I know I am. Do you want to schedule a time on the side? We can just do a one on one Zoom call and I can introduce my company so you know who we are. They might be willing to do that because it's even easier now for them to schedule meetings because they don't have to walk from place to place and their feet aren't going to hurt as these (laughs) huge trade
0: shows.
1: (laughs) So they might be more willing to do that interview if you ask them, but ask them related to the trade show because their mindset is already to do interviews during the trade show, but probably less companies are asking. So even if you're not an exhibitor, they might be open to, to doing the interview.
0: Now, would you still use the same timeline of that eight weeks uh, prior for virtual, or has I would, that shortened I You could
1: do it a shorter amount of time. I wouldn't be as uh, concerned about it from that perspective. I, I think when we've reached out related to an upcoming trade show, I think we change it for virtual to more four weeks out. The problem, the reason why you want to start so early is really because you're going to have to call them so many times. You're going to call them and email them like eight times before they acknowledge you. OK, <laughs> right, because you're going to have to leave a lot of voicemails and they're not all going to call you back. And, you know, anytime you reach out to a reporter, there's no guarantee they're going to contact you back and re- you know, email you back. So you got to keep every couple of days reaching out and say, hey, I don't know if you got my email, but I'm really hoping to schedule something while you're at this conference. So, so- now you change that pitch to none of us are going to be there in person. Do you want to schedule a one on one meeting? And I can show you what we would have exhibited if we were there. So even if your company is a step smaller, but still on that national scale, right, appropriate, say, well, we were gonna exhibit this year because we wanted to show off our product, but because it's virtual, we just decided to save the money. But do you wanna meet it? You wanna see what we would have shown at the exhibit hall? The truth is you wouldn't have paid the, you know, $5,000 for the exhibit space and then the extra $10,000 for the exhibit, but the reporter doesn't know that per se. Right. So it's an opening that you wouldn't have had because normally they would only want to have met you if you actually had a physical booth.
0: Yeah, yeah, good point. And and something that the what you just said reminds me of, what makes up most of these larger shows is the small ten by ten booths, yeah. and some of these companies they live to get there. Some of these smaller companies that live to get, get that booth at a Resna at a shot show at a CES at one of these large, huge shows just to get the opportunity to get in front of, of that potential customer that's there to see the big guys, yep. but I can grab their attention because I've got this new innovative product or a new service, or I'm new to the game. And I just want to make a, make some sort of an impact. Uh, but but you don't I would have turn
1: that, that around too, cause you're totally right. But turning that around do you want to just hope that somebody walking by stops at your booth, as they were passing the big, big national competitor down the booth, you know, down the line, or do you want the story in the big industry magazine, and yet it may not create that immediate sale? But it provides this document, this story, that is now a credibility piece. It's third party saying you're good at what you do and you're worthy of playing with the big kids, right? So now you've got this story, even if it's only one paragraph in the whole article, that you know, and it's talking about several things. Now you can take that and say, hey, look, I'm in Modern Healthcare Magazine. Hey, look, I'm in Becker's, right? Hey, look, I'm in you know, Field and Stream, or whatever the appropriate publication is for you, or whatever TechCrunch, or whatever publication you can take that article and add it to your collateral material and share it with prospects for the next five years.
0: Yes. Yes. So
1: you're using it to help close a sale now versus a one time hoping the right person happens to walk by.
0: Exactly. It's uh, it's that social proof, that social proof that, that I'm sure everyone has heard that term before. And, and like Josh says, it's, it could be timeless. This is something that you could use over and over and over again. For especially if you're if you're fairly new to the game, and people haven't heard your brand name before, now all of a sudden you can say, "Hey, but we were written up in Field and Stream. Here's a copy of that article, or here's the here's the quote about us that they said about our product from this show." Wow, that credibility, that instant credibility that you get uh, from doing that because you did a little bit of homework, you yeah. reached out and you you put in you put in the reps to to get noticed by the media but it's a long term play like like josh says you might you might get that story right away but what you're you're in it for the long term you're in it for the long term and that's what public relations is all about really building that credibility over time uh, to get in front of those people that you normally wouldn't have had the opportunity to do or to do it in a more effective and efficient way just that. This is eye-opening for me as well. I love this. The fact that the, the media are already there. And like Josh said, this is going to take some work. You're going to have to be persistent in your efforts in getting in front of the media, getting their attention. And not only that, but start early because as Josh can attest to, their schedule fills up their schedule fills up and uh, you don't wanna be left out because they say, you know, I just don't have time to meet with you. Uh, so don't wait for the week before the uh, the event, uh, get on their calendar early. But he also pointed out, this is a great time when everything or nearly everything is virtual, and we see, we're starting to see a couple live events uh, peeking in in the calendar here, which is exciting for me, and exciting for a lot of people out there. But for right now, with with it being virtual, this is a great opportunity for for companies to get in front of the media that make a difference uh, for in their industry.
1: Can I throw one other suggestion for companies?
0: Please, absolutely.
1: Okay. So, in addition to the the you know working that from a media perspective there's another thing that a lot of companies can do, which they, they kind of forget about or they realize too late and it's speaking opportunities. So a lot of these big trade shows, they're always looking for speakers. So usually about two months after the show is over, they post for the first time their call for presentations. And so it's kind of buried on their website and a lot of people don't know to look for it unless you want to be the speaker, right? Mm-hmm. So start looking for it right away And basically what it is, it's it's a form that you would fill out and submit that says that you're interested in being a speaker at next year's show. So being an expert and speaking at that trade show gives you a huge opportunity to position yourself as a thought leader. It makes you worthy of putting out the press releases from the news story perspective. It puts you in front of a bunch of people, and it just provides that credibility similar to the news story itself, just saying that I'm a credible speaker and they trust me, so you should too. The organization, the trade show wouldn't make me a speaker if they didn't think I was worthy of you listening to what I have to say. Here's the trick, though. There's a lot of people who submit to speak and you got to be legitimate on what you're speaking about and it can't be a sales pitch. Media do not want a sales pitch. You can give examples that are of your products or the end result from those products or a case study where you're you're bringing in a client and using the full-on version of that but it can't be a sales pitch. It needs to be teaching them how to do it, but it just so happens you be the only one with that, that ability to do it. So when you're submitting your speaking tip or idea, and I speak at a lot of national shows as a result of this as well. So what I would suggest is figure out that one topic and then create several versions of that same topic. So let me give you an example from a PR side. I have three core presentations. That I, that I would do on a regular basis. One is about how to build up goodwill. So like lots of little stories and I can give like a, it's like six and a half ideas to generate positive news stories, right? And then the next presentation that I have is crisis communications. How do you prepare in advance for a crisis? And what do you do if something goes wrong and you're in the middle of the media calling you during a media crisis? And then the third presentation, you know, varies depending on the organization and the topic. so. If it's for a company that contracts with government, you know, in RFP-ish type of way, then it would be, you know, how do you gain contracts? You know, how do you win and retain contracts? Or a different presentation may be, how do you set up a media event, right? How do you do a media stunt? And so those are, so it's really four different core presentations that I've given on a regular basis. So when I'm submitting for a speaking engagement, I'm often taking that one example of the crisis communications or that one example of a proactive positive story, you know, pitching and I'll create three titles for it in three different variations of the same presentation. And so instead of submitting one, I'm submitting three because one is like, you know, punny, right? One is trying to be cute and one is trying to be really serious and formal and one is a little more conversational, right? So I'm giving them three tones of what I'm saying so that when the selection committee is deciding what they want to choose, we don't know offhand who's on the selection committee. We don't know if they're going for serious this year because last year people were complaining that it was too fun. So now if they're going to choose a serious presentation, you've got a better shot. Or if they're looking for a less serious presentations and you've got the fun one, maybe that's the one they choose. The truth is the presentation is primarily the same. It's just the tone in which you're going to give it, or it's a few of the order of the facts that you would give that would change, but now you're giving yourself three chances to be chosen instead of one.
0: I love that. That is a secret weapon right there. Now, I'm giving you... it away today. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for bringing the value. Yeah. So would you, for for in that situation, do you submit all of those under one cover, or are they submitted all three separately? How do you do it?
1: Yeah, they make you submit them separately because they want to see what the title is. And they want to see your three main points. and there's a there's a structure of submitting. Um, so your bio and the basic information stays the same, and that gets have to be resubmitted over and over and over again. But each presentation in most cases has to be introduced separately. But they're going to take all the presentations under your name and put them together when they're deciding what they like and what they don't.
0: That's a, a, just a fantastic tip. And to, I can definitely speak to the, uh, the presenting, the opportunities that come from presenting yeah. uh, standpoint. And that is I got a, uh, I got a call, uh, I think it was three years after giving a presentation to a group. And so the guy said, "I saw you three years ago. I don't know if you remember this this talk. And and I kept your business card. And now I've got an opportunity. And so these things happen because you're building that credibility and you're giving people an opportunity to see you. And do they trust you? Do they like you? Do they have the? Do they appreciate the the content of your presentation? And I want you to think about anyone who's been to one of these workshops, seminars, keynotes at a at a talk." You see typically after a, a after a decent presentation you'll see a line of people waiting to talk to the speaker a lot of them have questions a lot of them are like hey how can i hire you how can i find out more information about what you talked about those are all opportunities that can come immediately from that show or maybe even you know 6 months a year 3 years down the road but you're, you're building that important uh, level of credibility that you don't have the opportunity otherwise.
1: You might find the same thing, but it's when you give away something that's you know special to you, that's when they actually line up, right? That's when people want to get to know you. So the same example of this podcast right now, I'm telling you my playbook. Most people would <laughs> be like, why in the world would you give that away? <laughs> and my view is, Because I know you're either going to do it and you're going to give me credit for it. So, you know, from a karma perspective, right? You're going to be appreciative and you're going to remember me and you're going to refer me the next time you have a chance because you remember this podcast and you implemented one of these ideas and you found out it worked. Or you're going to realize, wow, that really works. But man, that was a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't want to have to do that next year. I'd rather hire you to do that next year. And that's when it pays off when you're actually giving away value. Because even if I'm giving you 10 ideas right now, chances are you're only gonna use one of them. Go ahead and use it. I mean, I can come up with more ideas, no problem. (laughs) But you use the one idea, you're still not using the other nine and you're more likely to come back to me at that right time. And that's why I'm doing this podcast, right? That's why I'm happy to have the conversation and give it away because if you get value from it, that's when you line up at the end and say, Can I get more, please?
0: Yes and, yes. and
1: and it also feels good because a lot of times someone can't afford me. But if I'm able to give them these free tips, it's three years later, like you said, with I can afford you now. Can you come work for me?
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And and you know, I meet your minimums now. Can we work together? I love those conversations because it tells me that what I did three years ago wasn't a waste of time. It's why I do it.
0: Yeah, and Josh makes such an amazing point. If you have the opportunity to give a talk, bring your A-game, bring your best stuff. Don't think, oh, shoot, like like Josh just said, don't think, oh, I'm giving this away. They're not going to hire me now if, if I give all, all the good stuff away. They might try it on their own and see, oh my, wow, that was a lot of work or that, that was not, not as easy. And it took long, way longer than I thought it was going to be. Whatever the case, you know, get out there, give your, your best stuff. And I, I'm going to give a, a, quick, uh, quick study, a quick case study of a talk I went to at a very large uh, conference uh, last year and i was drawn in by the by the title of this talk it was just going to be fantastic and i was excited and i got there you know maybe five ten minutes before it was standing room only they drew the people in and then for 45 minutes we sat through a sales pitch that was so disappointing everyone uh, people were leaving in the middle of it They were saying, oh, and they they were giving all the stuff that they talked about in the title, in the description. And you're going to find out this when you attend our two-week workshop. And it's like, "Uh, what? (laughs) They gave literally almost zero value during that thing. And I walked away just so utterly disappointed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where the workshop, I'm sure, was fantastic, but uh, don't do that. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl that is uh, uh, just... Tight to the vest with your best stuff. Give away your best stuff. It is. It'll. It'll come back to you in spades. Josh, tell us uh, after the show, after the event. Maybe you've had a great interview or or multiple interviews with with media. What are some good next steps after that? Do you just wait for things to happen, or what action steps can can exhibitors or hey, great attendees question. take?
1: A week after the show, you need to send them a thank you for coming and talking to you. Because right? you gotta remember that they spoke with 40 different people. So even though they met with you, they might forget some of the detail. So you want to reconnect it and you want to go back and refer to something that was said during the conversation, during that interview. It was so great to talk to you. I'm so glad you got to re- meet Michelle, our COO, and she got to show you the new technology, the new you know, piece of equipment that we have or whatever because that will relate it back to them remembering. They may not remember her name, but they're gonna remember her, or they're gonna remember that demonstration. So the first part is just making the connection and reattaching yourself with that meeting. The other part is when you're meeting with them, you need to ask them questions. This goes back to the show itself. When you're meeting with them and they're learning about the product, you need to ask them, what kind of stories are they looking for? Cause then they're gonna say, well, we're open to case studies or we need to talk to a customer. We're only gonna do a story about you signing a contract, but until you have a contract with somebody, we're not gonna talk about it. Well, if you took notes and said that, then when you actually have that contract, that's when you need to go back to them and say, do you remember when we met at the conference, you said to let you know if we have a contract? Well, we got one now. And so those follow-ups where you're referring to them And you keep going back and saying, Remember when we met at the show? Remember when you met with my CEO? Remember when you came to our booth and you saw our, you know, unicorn colored in a rainbow unicorn, you know, booth? Figure out a way where you can keep making that connection where you have a relationship because it's so much harder to say no to somebody that you've met.
0: This is stuff that is so valuable. So I hope you're all taking notes. If you haven't been taking notes, listen to this episode again, because this is fantastic stuff because Josh has given you for effective public relations, what to do before the event, eight weeks out, what to do during the event. When you're in the middle of that interview, what do you say? What do you ask for? And then how to follow up effectively. And this is some of the same stuff that, If you're doing an effective follow-up after after an event with your attendees, with people that have stopped by your booth, media or not, uh, your potential customers, this is great, great tips on how to effectively follow up. Josh, this has just been outstanding, outstanding information, and I hope that, uh, like I said, if you you weren't paying attention or weren't uh, taking notes, go back and listen to this again. Take some notes and start to utilize and start to think about how can I get some of that, some of that media coverage that, that I'm so jealous of when I see other, other companies getting, what do I do? How can I get more of that? You just got the playbook. You just got Josh's playbook uh, on how to do it the right way. And it's just, it's not rocket science, but it's persistence. And it's knowing the tricks. It's knowing the tips that and the fact that you now know about that hidden media, uh, the, the hidden media that are at the show, that, that room that they're hiding in, <laughs> and uh, that you need to find out how do I draw them out of there and have them get to my booth or have, make that Zoom call with that person to be able to get, uh, get their attention and get their coverage that they're, 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 they're looking for stories. So this is a win-win. They are also looking for stories. So, Josh, thank you so much for, for joining me today. There's so much value here. What is the best way for people to reach you?
1: Thanks, Jim. Uh, the easiest way is probably going to our website at www.10to1pr.com. So that's 10-T-O, the number one. P is in public, R is in relations.com. So 10-to-1-PR.com. Or you can give us a call. My phone number is 480-789-0743. That is my cell phone number, um, and I give it out openly because I'm happy to give you feedback and some of my advice, and, and that's no big deal to me. When you want me to implement it, that's a different conversation. Um, but I'm always good for an opinion. Uh, if I can help you out, I'm one of those people that, you know, I, I kind of feel like it all comes back and pays you back later. Um, so if I can help you now, you know, I, I feel like it's going to pay off for me down the road. So good luck. Implement those ideas. Um, but the hardest part is just getting started and doing it because you know you can't win if you don't play right you got to just do it so so you know even if you're doing it half the suggestions i gave you you know you know 25 percent of suggestions i gave you it won't hurt you just try
0: absolutely absolutely that's outstanding advice for everybody to so and, and, and check out the show notes. I will have links to all of uh, Josh's uh, contact information and his website and one on the website. Also, I'm going to say sign up for his, his uh, newsletter, his email newsletter, because it has such great additional information that is just so valuable uh, that you are just going to love it. Josh, thank you so much again thanks, for, for joining funny, me. Today. I
1: appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thanks. Oh, this has been great and a great topic. Great information. And everyone, thanks for listening. And after you've put some of these things into play, send me a note. Let me know what worked, what didn't. Send Josh a note too, but send me one at jim at tradeshowu.biz, tradeshowu.biz, and get over my website, sign up for our email newsletter if you haven't done that yet. There's going to be so many amazing episodes coming up with great tips and more things to help you with your virtual events and with those live shows as they start coming back. So thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time on campus right here at Trade Show University.